1: Hello, and welcome to the other half. Episode 2.26 Alex of Hesse, Love, Faith, and Conscience. we finally come to it. The story of the woman that, in many ways, was the reason for embarking on this second season. The story of the First World War has many characters. Kings, emperors, generals, prime ministers. But almost all the key figures in your history books from this period are men. None of the powers engaged in this war allowed women the vote, none of them had women in their armies, and none of their rulers were women. It was the ultimate sausage fest. But there were some women behind the scenes that did exert a great deal of influence over proceedings, and none more so than Alex of Hesse and Byrine, the Tsarina of Russia. Her reputation in the history books is not a particularly good one. Depending on whom you read, she's seen as an incompetent idiot and a shrill, overprotective mama bear or a manipulative dominatrix. She is blamed for bringing down one of Europe's most august royal dynasties, and for bringing about not one, but two revolutions. For bringing men like Lenin and Stalin into positions of power. Her influence over her husband, her trusting of the wrong people, and her will to do anything to protect her children all had profound consequences to be sure. But you don't have to look too far to see the hand of prejudice at work. One advantage of having done a podcast about queens for a few years is that you get very used to the traditional portrayal of powerful women, and the tropes that writers use to denigrate them. They are lightning rods of blame, taking hits that should really be directed to others. Even when they are worthy of criticism, they take more than they deserve, such as the case in ancient history, in medieval, early modern, and indeed in this more modern period. This was indeed the case with Alex, as we shall see over the course of this miniseries on her life. Andre Melunus, in A Lifelong Passion, an anthology of letters documenting the lives of Nicholas and Alex, opened the book with this, quote, Our story goes like this. Once upon a time there lived a charming and kind prince, the heir to a large and rich kingdom, covering one-sixth of the world. He fell in love with a beautiful, faraway princess. He married her and became king. They loved each other passionately and had five children. One would expect them to live happily ever after, but they could not escape their fate. They were doomed. Their bloodline was cursed. The fairy tale turned into tragedy. In this series, we will see a woman of great passion and incredible resolve but one both deeply unsuited for the role in which she found herself and deeply unfortunate in the times in which she was forced to live. Had she ruled in less interesting times, she would probably be a footnote in history. Instead, she is arguably the most powerful woman on the world stage during one of history's bloodiest wars. Now, since we've already covered her mother and her elder sister in this season, we already have a bit of a head start on her life. But this still will be a longish miniseries. I won't predict its length, as I've been burned too many times before, but I do anticipate it being the longest for a while. It also, as with Ella, does not have a happy ending. But it is a fascinating story, well worth telling. And so let's get going. To all my new listeners, welcome. To the rest of you, welcome back. Victoria Helena Louise Beatrice was born on the 6th of June 1872 to Alice and Louis of Hesse and Rhine. Those of you with elephantine memories will note that she was named for every single one of the daughters of Queen Victoria but she would always be known as Alex. Well that and Sunny because as a young child she was an uncommonly cheerful young girl. Her childhood, like that of her sister, was spent split between her home in Darmstadt and her grandmother's various residences in the UK, such as Osborne House and Balmoral, but was dominated by the death of her mother and youngest sister in 1878. Only six years old, she didn't have the tools to comprehend everything that she had lost. She couldn't even take solace in her toys and trinkets, as they had to be burned to prevent the disease that had swept through her family from spreading. Unable to process her grief, Alex withdrew into herself and fell into a depression, setting a pattern that we will see repeated in later life. Even when she had recovered somewhat from the intense feeling of loss, she would never be the same extroverted person that she had once been. She was now outwardly cool, serious and reserved. Only very close friends and family would ever truly see Sonny again. Following Alice's death, Queen Victoria took an intense interest in the upbringing of her daughter's children. Grand Duke Louis more or less ceded responsibility for the upbringing of his kids to his mother-in-law, and so letters were constantly in motion between Windsor and Darmstadt, documenting the education of Alex and her siblings. Her English governess was required to send daily summaries and full monthly reports on her progress, and Victoria was not shy with sending back her opinions. This close interest and supervision had the desired effect, and Alex turned into the very image of an English princess. Studious and clever, proficient in the liberal arts, especially English and German literature, skilled at the piano, and instilled with a deeply Victorian moral code. She was also fascinated by politics, inspired by the example of her grandmother, the Queen of Europe's Greatest Empire. Alex's teenage years were dominated by her visits to her family in two foreign lands. The first was the UK, as I said, where she spent a great deal of time learning from her grandmother. The second was to Russia, visiting her sister Ella. Her first visit was when she was 12 and was on the occasion of Ella's wedding to Sergei. You remember that trip that gilded welcome at the palace, the parade into St. Petersburg for the wedding itself at the magnificent Winter Palace. The ceremony itself was a mystery to Alex. She spoke no Russian and was entirely unfamiliar with the strange Orthodox liturgy. All she could do was stand by her sister, wearing a dress of white muslin, roses weaved into her hair, and steal glances at the handsome young man standing near her. He was Sergei's nephew, Zarevich Nicholas, Nicky to his friends. He was four years older than her, and she was utterly taken with him. And Nicky couldn't help but notice the pretty, blushing 12-year-old. He wrote in his diary when they first met, quote, I like her awfully much. He gave her a brooch a few days later as a gift. Trembling slightly, she accepted the present but then, a few days later, returned it. He was momentarily put out, but must have noticed how painfully shy the young German princess was. For her, this was the textbook schoolgirl crush. Her diary from this visit was filled with pictures of her as a bride, and they sat together at every meal. Before she left, and isn't this straight out of a cheesy rom-com, they carved their names together into a window using a diamond, writing that they loved each other. Following this, they would not meet again for another five years. By now, Alex was a radiant and beautiful 17-year-old woman, tall, elegant, with rich strawberry blonde hair and striking blue eyes, while Nicky was an army officer, sleek and dashing in his guard's uniform. They were both now at a thoroughly marriageable age, and so when Alex went to St Petersburg to visit her sister, one might have expected this to have been an ideal time for a proposal. They went to innumerable balls and receptions together. They went skating and tobogganing. And it was obvious to all that they had kindled a romance. Alex, though, was not an unabashed hit. While everyone commented favourably on her beauty, they also said that she was often rigid with nerves and could appear very cold and stern, without the ease around people that was so vital in a Romanov princess. Nicky, though, saw none of this. He had fallen in love, and Alex was right there with him. Ella was delighted. Their grandmother, however, was having none of it. Now you may remember from the series on Ella that Queen Victoria was not fond of all things Russian. She saw Russia as a backward and dangerous country, one against which Britain had recently been at war, and certainly not the kind of place into which members of her family should marry. She had been against her son Alfred marrying Romanov and had launched a concerted campaign to prevent Ella from marrying Sergei. She had failed on both of those occasions and was determined not to make it a hat trick. Indeed, she had already identified the man for Alex, her grandson, Prince Albert Victor, better known as Eddie, the eldest son of the Prince of Wales. In terms of birth, Eddie was arguably the most eligible bachelor in all of Europe. He would surely be king one day, and would rule over the world's biggest and greatest empire. He could make his future wife the queen over a quarter of the globe, not to mention Empress of India. He was handsome, looked extremely dashing in his naval uniform, and stood out in a crowd. However, looks can be deceiving. Eddie was, in fact, a profound disappointment to both his father and his grandmother. Although raised by all the best tutors, he displayed little aptitude for his studies, and so was sent into the Navy at the age of 13 to teach him some discipline. This didn't really work either, and Eddie was outshunned not only by his brother George, but pretty much every other cadet around him. The same was true when he went to study at Cambridge, and again when he joined the army afterwards. Like his father, he had a weakness for the fairer sex, but what really kept him from reaching the academic heights expected of him was simply a lack of aptitude. He was trying, just not succeeding. There are strong suspicions too that he acquired a sexually transmitted disease while in the army, given some rather coded letters that have survived, and it has also been suggested that he may have been a bisexual. This all meant that Queen Victoria was extremely concerned about her listless and wayward eldest grandson. Now, she had the same concerns when her eldest son was young, and her solution for Eddie was the same as it had been for Bertie find him a wife that will set him right. Now, of course, this hadn't exactly worked with Bertie, but Victoria wasn't to be deterred by that. She wanted to find someone of unimpeachable moral standards. Someone pretty enough to hold his interest. Someone worthy of being a future British queen. Alex ticked all of those boxes. And, as an added bonus, it would mean that one of her favourite granddaughters would be by her side. It was perfect, at least for Victoria. She made her move in 1888, inviting her teenage granddaughter to Osborne, Spending a great deal of alone time with her and bringing her along to audiences with foreign dignitaries. After three weeks of this special treatment, Alex found herself on a train north to Balmoral with her grandmother, whereupon she spent a magical few weeks exploring the Scottish Highlands. It was only then, after she had thoroughly buttered Alex up, that Victoria brought Prince Eddy into their intimate world. She rather unsubtly engineered situations for them to spend time together culminating in a hilariously awkward situation during a play in which they were all acting where Eddie was forced to quote-unquote propose. Despite all of Victoria's urging, however, Eddie did not propose for real during this visit, but he was taken with Alex, telling his brother George, quote, She's a lovely girl now, and everything is nice, and I have my eye on her. You know what that means. However... Victoria and Eddie had an adversary in this campaign, and that was Ella. She described the idea of her sister marrying the wastrel Eddie as being, quote, quite dreadful. Not only because they were first cousins, which in a family afflicted by haemophilia was hardly ideal, but she also noted that, quote, Eddie is too stupid. You would see that clever girl turn into a flirt, as she is so pretty, And England, with that stupid husband, is not at all the place for her. Ella was self-aware enough, though, that she was somewhat biased in her position, as she would love to have her little sister in Russia married to one of her favourite Romanovs. But she was not wrong in her analysis that Eddie would be a bad match. Both Ella and Victoria knew that they were in a tug-of-war now. Alex was more naturally inclined to Nicholas but loved the UK and the idea of being closer to most of her family more than she did the idea of being in Russia. As part of her campaign, Ella ensured that both Nikki and Alex had photos of each other and made sure to keep them both abreast of news of the other. For her part, Victoria stiffened Eddie's resolve and invited Alex once again at Balmoral, certain this time that her grandson would pop the question. Feel a little right now for Eddie. He is being forced to propose marriage, one of the most nerve-wracking things you will ever do, to a beautiful young woman that he barely knows, under the watchful idea of his forceful grandmother. He felt that he loved her, which only made his nerves worse, but feared that Victoria's meddling in the situation would work against him. The following year, Victoria invited Alex over again and laid it on thick giving her a tour of the UK with adoring crowds greeting them at every stop along the route. By the time they got to Balmoral, Victoria felt that she had got Alex exactly where she wanted her. But there was a problem. Alex hadn't bought what her grandmother was selling. Not wanting to embarrass her cousin, she confided in her brother Ernie, who was also at Balmoral, who took Eddie aside and let him know that a hypothetical proposal from him would not be accepted. Why this was the case is an open question, but there are two likely explanations. The first is that Alex's heart was truly set on Nicky, and that no other man would match up. But there is another explanation. At this time, there was a growing scandal building back in London, surrounding the discovery of a gay brothel, a scandal in which Eddie was implicated. Now, it is not certain if news of this scandal had reached Alex or Ernie, but if it had, it would certainly have made the Hessians think twice about a marital union with Eddie. When she was told, Victoria spoke to her granddaughter, probing her defences. Remember that she had temporarily managed to get Ella to break off her engagement with Sergei due to the force of her persuasion. But she met her match in Alex. She stood fast to her guns, telling her that she had absolutely no intention of marrying Eddie. No amount of cajoling could move her. A few days later, she left the UK and returned to Darmstadt. She had faced down her grandmother and won. Wounded, Victoria eventually accepted Alex's decision. Indeed, she actually rather admired Alex's resolve, stating that it showed, quote, "...great strength of character." but she was equally clear on one thing. She would not lose another granddaughter to the Romanovs. She told Alex's sister Victoria to, quote, take care and tell Ella that no marriage for Alex in Russia would be allowed. Then there will be an end to it. She wasn't the only one opposed to the match. Sarina Marie, Nikki's mother, was just as fervently anti-German as Victoria was anti-Russian, She was Danish by birth, indeed she was the sister of Alexandra, the Princess of Wales, and so harboured a hatred of Germany that went all the way back to the Schleswig-Holstein War. But Marie's opposition wasn't just simple racism. She recognised that the shy, reserved Alex was not well suited to the role of being a future Tsarina of Russia. The role of Empress was an incredibly public one, full of balls, receptions and public events. Alex, far from being the kind of gregarious woman that the role demanded, came across as aloof and cold. This would not go down well, and Marie knew it. No matter what either of their families thought, though, Nicky and Alex seemed destined to end up together. But there was a problem. And it was a big one. Religion. We talked a lot about religion in the series on Ella. You may remember that she was not required to convert on marriage to Sergei. Of course she eventually did, but that was very much her own decision. Alex would not be forwarded the same liberality. Tsarist propaganda positioned the Tsar as a semi-divine figure, and so it was quite unacceptable for his wife to be anything other than from the Russian Orthodox faith. If Alex was to marry the future Tsar, she would have to convert, but she steadfastly refused to. She was a proud Protestant. All of her family were Protestants of some colour or another. To forsake her faith was not something that she was prepared to countenance. She was willing to turn down the chance to be Empress of Russia and to marry the man she loved over matters of faith, and she was very firm about it. In a letter to her daughter Sophia, Empress Vicky wrote, quote, I hear that Alex of Hesse has now decided not to entertain marrying Nicky of Russia, though he wished it deeply, and Ella took great pains to bring it about. Alex likes him very much, but will not change her religion on any count. I am sorry for the poor girl, and I am sorry for Nicky, as I fear he had set his heart upon it. So, all seemed lost for Nicky." his parents were against the match, as was Queen Victoria, and now Alex herself seemed to look elsewhere. But he did have one ally, and it came from a surprising place. Now, if this series has had one consistent villain, it has been Kaiser Wilhelm II. I have not shied away from describing him in very negative terms, and there is good reason for that, he is a nasty piece of work. But, in the story of Alex and Nicky, He plays the role of matchmaker. Okay, so we are now going way back now to the series on Vicky, But you may remember that the German Chancellor Bismarck had pursued a highly pro-Russian foreign policy with the aim of ensuring that Germany never became caught in an antagonistic sandwich by Russia and France. This had all gone rather well, until Kaiser Wilhelm came to the throne in 1888. He and son Alexander III did not get on well at all, and relations were souring. Even worse, France and Russia were on the brink of signing an alliance, and so Germany was now at risk of being surrounded by unfriendly powers. Wilhelm needed a way of binding his country back together with Russia – and so saw the marriage of his cousin Alex to Nicky as the perfect way of doing so. Now, the Tsar countered this by proposing that Nicky marry Princess Hélène of Orléans, a descendant to the last King of France, and hoped that this would cement his alliance with the French. He expected his son to do his duty and to agree, but for Nicky, there was only Alex. Reportedly, the Tsar impatiently exclaimed at his son, She won't have you. She's a confirmed Lutheran. And what in the world do you see in her? His son replied simply, Everything. When his mother tried to talk him around, she got a similar reply She'll have me yet. It's Alex and Hesse or nobody for me. Nicky never gave up hope sending an avalanche of letters to Darmstadt, boldly declaring his love for Alex and imploring her to reconsider her decision. But, at every turn, he was sadly rejected by Alex. Quote, I have tried to look at it in every light, but I always return to one thing. I cannot do it against my conscience. It would be a sin, and I should be miserable all the days of my life, knowing that I had done a wrong thing. What happiness can come of a marriage which begins without the real blessings of God? I can never change my confession. Nicky was devastated when he received this letter, writing, quote, All my hopes are shattered by this implacable obstacle. Even attempts to use back channels failed. When his sister Zenya broached the topic with Alex, she replied, quote, Darling, why did you speak about that subject? when we never wanted to mention again. It is cruel, as you know it can never be. He knows it, and so do not, I pray, of you speak of it again. I know Ella will begin again, but what is the good of it? Nicky kept writing, but knew that his pen alone could not breach Alex's defences. He had to do so in person. His opportunity came in a visit to Coburg in 1894 for Alex's brother Ernie's wedding to Victoria Melita of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha. Ostensibly, he was there to represent the Tsar, whose health did not prevent him to travel, but really he had only one thing in mind. Travelling with Ella and Sergei by train, they were greeted at the platform by Alex and her family. He quickly found an excuse to spend some time alone with her, but no matter how hard he pleaded, she could not accept him. This was not a question of love, she told him. It was one of faith and conscience, two things on which she could never compromise. She never failed to accept his invitations to spend time together, but was utterly resolute. By now the story of the rejection had spread around the whole wedding. Everyone knew that Alex had now turned down future rulers of both Britain And Russia. But to the rescue came the Kaiser. Now, there is a great irony in Wilhelm being so keen to persuade his cousin to convert from Lutheranism to Orthodoxy, as you may remember that he cut off all ties with his sister Sophia when she did the exact same thing upon marrying Constantine of Greece. Then again, that marriage didn't really help Wilhelm out, whereas Alex marrying the Tsarevich was massively in his interest. See, I can still stick the dagger into the Kaiser, even when he's doing our heroine a good turn here. Anyway, Wilhelm told Alex that it was nothing less than her, quote, bounden duty for the sake of the peace of Europe to marry Nicky. He told her that religious differences between Lutheranism and Orthodoxy were not all that large. They believed in the same God, the same basic things, really. The differences were only superficial. Ella backed up these arguments, telling Alex that this was her last chance to give love a chance and to marry the man that she truly cared for. She also pointed out to her that things in Darmstadt were about to get a little less comfortable for her. Before, with Ernie unmarried, there was a role for his unmarried sisters to play in public life. But now that he had a wife, Alex would just be in the way. She needed to get married, and fast. And if not to Nicky, Then to who? Then came Wilhelm's masterstroke. First, he met with Nicky and stiffened his resolve. Be manly, be strong, be confident, he told the Tsarevich. Oh, and bring flowers. Women love flowers. Oh, in your best uniform. They love that too. He then went to his cousin and then brought her himself to Nicky's house, again plying her with reassuring words. He then put them together in the same room, alone, and shut the door. It was now all up to Nicky. Rather disappointingly, we don't know much about what was said at their meeting, only that Nicholas proposed, and Alex, much to his surprise, immediately said yes. In a letter to his mother, Nicholas wrote, They left us alone, and the first thing she said was that she agreed. "'Oh God, what happened to me then? I started to cry like a child, and so did she. Only her expression immediately changed. Her face brightened and took on an aura of peace. She has completely changed and become gay, amusing, talkative, and tender. I do not know how to thank God for his great mercy.'" As any of you who have gotten engaged know, The next few hours and days are a whirlwind of correspondence, so you find yourself telling everyone in your life the happy news. Back then, this meant letters. Lots and lots of letters. Luckily, of course, though, this all happened at a family wedding, and so quite a few people were about to tell in person. Of course, one of the first people to find out was the grandmother of Europe herself, Queen Victoria. She was quite taken aback by the news, Quote, I was quite thunderstruck. As though I knew Nicky much wished it, I thought Alex was not sure of her mind. Saw them both. Alex had tears in her eyes, but looked very bright, and I kissed them both. The happiest man in the room, though, was the Kaiser, who apparently was grinning like the Cheshire Cat, viewing this as the greatest diplomatic coup of his reign. Nicky's parents, whom you may remember were decidedly against the match, were polite and outwardly happy in their responses. His father wrote, quote, you can imagine the feeling of joy and gratitude towards the Lord with which we learned of your engagement. I have to admit that I did not believe the possibility of such an outcome and was sure your attempt would fail completely. But the Lord guided you, gave you strength and blessed you. Many thanks to him for his mercy. Please tell your dear fiancé from me how much I thank her for at last consenting and how I wish her to flourish for the joy, comfort and peace she has given us by agreeing to be your wife. And his mother was similarly effusive. Quote, it was such a joy yesterday to receive your two dearest letters. Tell Alex that I was so touched by hers. Only she must not call me auntie, mama or mother dear. This is what I am to her now. Poor children, what moral tortures you have both been through. It was a real battle, but God helped you to prevail and to win this great victory. And now he will bless you both, I am sure. I could spend a whole episode reading the vast amount of correspondence generated by this engagement. But frankly, that would be a little boring. So let's just say that the general tone was of surprise and delight. This was an engagement 10 years in the making, and represented the coming together of two people that genuinely loved each other. But of course, this union was so much more than just a love match. Nikki and Alex may not have cared one bit about the geopolitical machinations of their wedding, but others certainly did. The Morning Post, for example, exclaimed that the marital union, quote, cannot fail to strengthen in the highest degree the guarantees of European peace. They may exercise a commanding influence on the destinies of more than one continent. It seemed that the Kaiser had done it. By bringing about this marriage, he had brought the Russians back into the German orbit, and also taken a step towards greatest friendship with the UK. Indeed, it was thought that this match represented peace in our time. But, of course, 20 years after all this took place, Germany would be at war with both Britain and Russia. How could this be? Well, of course, there are many reasons, but one is that marital alliances did not have the cachet that they had in, say, the Middle Ages. Foreign policies were far more complex and nuanced than that, even in an autocracy like Russia. The marriage was a friendly step, but too many wheels were in motion, if you'll forgive the mixed metaphor. Indeed, just a few months after the engagement was announced, Russia and France ratified their new alliance. Bismarck's worst fears of envelopment by France to the west and Russia to the east had now been realised. But those were concerns for the diplomats. Alex was not tremendously concerned by any of it. She was basking in the happiness of being engaged to the man that she loved. But the consequences of the engagement were causing huge ripples to spread from her haven in Coburg and so Queen Victoria, wisely, invited Alex to come back with her and stay in the relative safety and seclusion of Windsor Castle. Victoria was still very concerned about the prospect of one of her favourite granddaughters going to Russia, and while she accepted that she couldn't stop the match, she wanted to delay it for as long as possible so that she could prepare Alex for what was in store. Ever since her mother had died, Victoria had been a real mother figure for Alex – and so this time at Windsor was very bittersweet. It was a wonderful time, but also a reminder of the world that she was leaving behind. While in England, she and Nicky exchanged letters on an almost daily basis. The love and true passion that they shared with each other is palpable. Indeed, their absence from each other at this time only served to increase their attachment and longing. I will read just a few of them for you, but brace yourselves, things are about to get a little steamy. Here are a few extracts from Alex to Nicky. Good morning, my own precious Boise. Oh, how I wish you were here, my beloved darling. And your glorious bracelet, you naughty monkey. How could you dare to give me such a magnificent thing? I feel quite shy. And your telegram. You do spoil one. Oh, lovey. Had I but got you with me, I want you so badly, a mad longing takes hold of me, and I don't know how to keep quiet. I am burning for a kiss, and to feel myself clasped tightly in your arms, safe and protected by the most loving of all beings. My sweet lovey dear, I can never forget what an angel you looked. I could have gazed forever. You were too enjoyable.' And that dear expression and little movement of the head and the deep big eyes I so madly adore. Oh, for a moment to press my lips on them and to whisper words of love and utter contentment into my Nicky's ears. Ever your own deeply loving, very devoted and ever true bridey, Alex. And here are some extracts from Nicholas's letters. Quote, My own darling Sonny. I get in a mad state of excitement when they bring me your letters, and I don't know what I would have given to be able to fly over to you and to cover your sweet face with greedy, burning and loving kisses. You have got me entirely, and forever. Soul and spirit, body and heart, everything is yours. Yours. I would like to scream it out loud for the world to hear it. It is me who am proud to belong to such a sweet angel as you are, and to venture to claim for your love to be returned is more than being greedy and selfish. Ever your deep, loving, and faithful Boise, Pelly, Nicky. Now, I focused on the cutesy, lovey, sexy aspects of their letters, but there was quite a bit more in there as well. There was the usual exchange of news, but Alex was also, with her grandmother's encouragement, trying to find out more about what was going on in Russia and, most importantly, learning about the Orthodox faith. She got Nicky to send her Orthodox books, and Victoria got a clergyman to spend time with Alex to ease her into her religious conversion. I think that Victoria had in mind an engagement of a few years. It would be hard for Alex and Nicky, they might just explode with all the sexual tension, but it would be worth it if she could prepare her granddaughter fully for the magnitude of the role that she was taking on. After all, Nicholas wasn't Tsar yet, and though his father wasn't a tremendously well man, he was still a big, boisterous man of 49. Alex had plenty of time before she would wear the crown of Empress of all Russia. Right? Unfortunately for her, fate has a funny sense of humour.